We're going to be looking this morning uh, at the book of uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, as uh, uh, many of you would say. Habakkuk chapter 1, just looking at verses 1 to 11 this morning, and I'll give you a few moments to find that. Uh, many of you probably, well, actually most of you probably don't look very often at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, if you need it, right, uh, uh, right after Nahum and right before Zephaniah, that helps me, but they're all uh, minor prophets, uh, small books. Uh, in my Bible, it's, it's uh, page number 782, if that helps. Uh, so if you have the exact same copy as mine, uh, that might help. We'll give you just a moment to find that. It's such an um, important little book, a small book, uh, but a lot of great things in there. And so we want to take just the next few, um, uh, few weeks on our Sunday mornings to go through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, some great challenges for us, uh, even as a church today. So let me just uh, begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the precious gift of your word and for the opportunity to, uh, to speak your challenges, God, to our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you deliver your message and that we listen attentively with all of our heart. Allow you, God, to challenge us and to trust in you, our great God. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Lead us in it now. And be glorified through it all. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want, uh, before we get into the reading, we're just going to do a couple, uh, the reading in a couple of different um, times today. But I want to talk for just a moment about uh, Habakkuk itself because, um, as I said, you probably don't read in this book every day and may not know a lot about it. Uh, this is um, a little tiny book in the Old Testament that, uh, has some powerful messages, as I said, for us even today as the, the church in 2016. It's actually a book whose importance was never really questioned. And when uh, the Bible was being formed into the, uh, the canon of the 66 books, uh, this is one of the books that was never questioned. Uh, some were kind of questioned, do we include this or not? Uh, this is uh, one of those little prophets, uh, little books that was never questioned. Uh, its place in the Bible was always secure. It was probably written around the time of, uh, of Jeremiah and Nahum uh, before Assyria lost its power. And uh, so it kind of places in the time of those prophets, although um, the, the dating of it is not certain. And who wrote it is not really certain, although it seems as you read through the book, uh, there's a nice flow through it that seems like only one person wrote this book. And there's a couple references in the book itself to Habakkuk. And so... Uh, we've said that um, uh, this book is probably attributed to him. Uh, the content in this book is, is similar at times to some of the Psalms. Uh, some of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament, that question, why, God, why are you allowing these to happen? Psalms like Psalm 10 or Psalm 22, Psalm 42. These sort of Psalms, uh, you, you may find similarity to that in, in the book of Habakkuk. As he often questions God, and what in the world is going on? Now, the man itself, Habakkuk, we know even less about. Uh, the Bible doesn't really say anything about Habakkuk, except for in uh, verse 1 that says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. And so it says Habakkuk was a prophet. That's the only thing really we know from uh, looking in the, uh, the scriptures about Habakkuk. Now, there's a story written about him uh, in the Apocrypha, which 
in the, uh, the Roman Catholic Bible, there are some, uh, some books in between uh, Malachi and, uh, and Matthew that we don't have in our Bibles uh, called the Apocrypha. Uh, some will call them deuterocanonical books. Okay? That sounds really important, doesn't it? So they're outside of the canon, outside of the 66 books that we recognize as being um, the definite Word of God. And in it, it tells a story about Habakkuk and says that he's from the house of, of Levi. Uh, so uh, that's all that is really written about um, Habakkuk. We just know that he's a prophet and, uh, and little more about him. There's an interesting story actually in the Apocrypha uh, called Bell and the Dragon. And uh, this story talks about Habakkuk and uh, how he was picked up by an angel and... Uh, he picked up by his hair, actually, and, uh, and he was walking along with some food, and this is the time when Daniel was in the lion's den, and it says an angel picked Habakkuk up and uh, carried him over, the, uh, over the, the lion's den that Daniel was in, and he dropped the food down to, uh, to Daniel, and in, in, in an instant, the angel brought him back again. Now, that's not um, in, the, in the scripture, in the word, but that's the only story told about him, an interesting story uh, there. But what we want to look at today and, and over the next few weeks is what Habakkuk, uh, how Habakkuk questioned God and then God's answers for us. Questions like, why does God allow suffering to happen? Or why do sinners seem to, to strive while Christians seem to suffer? And what's in store for those who decide not to follow God? And then ultimately, how are we to respond when God's ways are not our ways? Can you see how this little book, although it's tiny, can have some relevance to us today? We tend to have those same questions over and over today. And so we want to take the next few weeks to just look at some of this. You see, Habakkuk questioned God a lot. And he got away with it. This holy God, the, the creator of, of everything was questioned by this lowly man who we know really know nothing about. And we get to benefit from some of this questioning. God engages with him. And it, although God puts him in his place and says, hey, I'm, I'm God and you're not, he allows Habakkuk to engage with him and to question him. J. Uh, Goldinger in his, his commentary on the Minor Prophet says, Habakkuk engages Yahweh in an argument, not one concerning his own needs or his own suffering, but for those of his people. And Yahweh, or God, does not rebuke him for engaging in this argument, but God's answers do put him in his place. And we'll see then. So let's first of all look at uh, Habakkuk's first question. We're just going to look at the, the one question today and God's response to that. His first question happens here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. So look with me, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So 
Habakkuk kind of starts off this book by letting God have it, doesn't he? He's not just kind of going, oh, God, we have a few things to talk about. He just begins going, how long, God, are you going to let this continue? Everybody's getting away with all the wrong that they're doing. How long are you going to allow us to struggle? How long, God, am I going to cry out for help before you hear me? Now, have you ever heard someone crying out in distress? Generally, hopefully, when you hear a, a cry for help or a cry, it sounds like someone's in trouble. Our ears automatically, it seems like, are attentive to them. And I know living in Garkin, as uh, some of us do, every once in a while you hear people scream out and you hear different fights and you hear different drama. This is it's an exciting place to live, isn't it? You never know what, what to expect from day in and day out. And I know from our house... And sometimes at the shops, wherever, you hear someone yell out and you think, hold on, I need to make sure that everyone's safe here. And sometimes you listen and you okay, well, it's just, you know, people having an argument or whatever, everyone's safe and they're fine. And you stop and you listen to that. It happens to us all the time. And I'm sure it happens to you. Here, Habakkuk's saying, God, how long am I going to cry out in distress before you actually hear me? How many times do I have to scream before you come to my rescue? What does it take, God, to get your attention? I'm surrounded by suffering and hardship and pain. Where are you, God? Why? Why are you allowing all this to happen? Have you ever felt like this? I'd say most of us have. Probably all of us have at different times. Sometimes it seems like our prayers aren't getting through. It seems like they're not getting any, any further than the ceiling. Sometimes you wonder how in the world the bills are going to get paid. They just keep piling up. Sometimes it seems that the sickness and, and suffering and death around us are just too much to bear. Dear lady at a, a church I used to pastor, used to say all the time in our Bible study, she said, look, God always says, He'll only allow as much to happen to us or as much to happen to us as we can take. And she said, but sometimes I'm, I find myself saying, God, how much is your much? Because I've reached mine. Huh? So God only allows us to, to bear as much as we can take, but you say, well, God, how much is your much? Because I think I've reached my, my end. Even Christians, the people of God, God's children feel this way at times, maybe even in often, that God is allowing too much struggle to happen, too much pain and too much suffering. And we say, God, we're the good guys here. We, we trust you. We love you. We're trying to serve you. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see all the heartache? Don't you see all the pain? Don't you see all the suffering? Why would you, our great God, allow this kind of stuff to happen? And I want to say it's, it's okay for us to question these things. Habakkuk shows that. He stands before God and says, Where are you, God? All of this drama is happening. Where are you? It's okay to question these things. What we need to not do, what we need not do is allow these difficulties and the suffering and stuff to, to shatter our faith. I remember a man years ago who was a friend of mine. He was a, 
a deacon in the church, a strong kind of pillar of faith in, in the, the church. You know these guys that you just go, oh, wow, if I had faith like that, if I was that kind of, sort of Christian, man, God could use it. You know, there's those people we kind of put up on a pedestal. This is one of those guys, and everyone in the church just really respected him and his faith in God. Until something happened to his family. One day they found out that his granddaughter, uh, and she just started having headaches and then having problems with her eyes, and they found out this little seven-year-old girl had a tumor on her brain. And as he had to watch his little seven-year-old granddaughter go through chemo and all the struggles of that, and losing her hair and becoming physically weak, and as there are times when he couldn't visit with her because he might carry in some sort of germ that might take her life. I watched this man who became bitter and angry with God. So much so that he not only questioned, God, this struggle is happening. Where are you? But he stopped trusting that God is there. And eventually he stopped going to church. And then eventually he started turning against the church and against Christians. And I saw... I thought how much it must break the heart of God to see someone experience such struggle and suffering. And while it's okay to question that, this man went and stopped trusting in the God that he'd served for so long. And stopped realizing what a great God it is that we serve. And you see, it's easy when the world seems to say, God doesn't really exist. God's not really there or all of this suffering wouldn't take place. It's easy sometimes to start believing that unless we have a relationship, a strong relationship with our great God. You see, I find it amazing that, and, and humbling and beautiful that this God, the creator of all the universe, the one who is sovereign and just and holy, he wants a relationship with us. We can walk with him and talk with him every day. We can get to know him and know that he's not only a God of power and might who controls all things, who knows all things, He's a God of love and mercy. And even in the heart of the storms and the difficulty, He holds us. It's not, it's not because God doesn't exist that these hard times happen. It's because God does exist that we even hold together, that He, that he can hold us strong, that we make it through because God holds us in His hand. He is forever faithful. So let's look as... Habakkuk has questioned God and saying all these things. How long am I going to cry out to you before you do something? Let's look at the Lord's answer. The Lord's answer here is uh, just in verses 5 to 11. It says this. This is God talking to the people, really, of, of Israel as he answers Habakkuk. And he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, sweeping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners 
like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Now, I have to venture a guess on this. This is not the sort of response that Habakkuk wanted. Because what a God essentially says in the beginning is, you think it's bad now. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's about to get worse. Now, that's not what you want to see. Here is it when you go, God, why is all this suffering around? He goes, you haven't suffered yet. That was just a test. That was just the beginning. It's all about to come. He begins by saying, have a look around and see what I'm doing. Now, God speaks essentially here to the whole nation. He says, look around at the nations and see what I'm doing. Habakkuk is actually crying out for the people of of Israel, uh, for his people who are suffering, not just for himself. And so God responds, not just for Judah who are uh, in constant trouble around this time, but for all the nation of Israel. And he says, be on guard. Essentially, stand on the wall and, and watch the armies coming. I'm at work, not just in the future, but in your day. Even now, as you are crying out, I am at work. And I'm going to do something even greater than you could imagine. Even if you were told about it, you wouldn't believe in. I'm going to do something. Now, the, the Hebrew phrasing is, uh, the Hebrew language is written in, the, the phrasing here, and I'm, I'm going to do something, is something of certainty. It's kind of like we're saying, if, if you ring up your spouse and you say, Rod, I'm heading home now. And you, you haven't left yet, but you, you can say, Rod, I'm coming home or I'm heading home. You can say, this is of certainty. This is what my, my next thing is going to do, uh, happen. Except for with us, things could happen, right? Things could get into place. But with God, all things are certain. And when he says, I'm going to do something in your day, I'm already doing something in your day. I am at work. And so essentially, God is saying here, look, don't worry, Habakkuk, because I am in control. Now that is something Habakkuk needed to hear, isn't it? And that's something that we need to hear. God says, he responds by saying, look out and see that I am already at work and I'm going to do something that is even greater than you can imagine, something that you wouldn't believe. But then he begins by telling what it is. And he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, the people were already struggling with the the nation of Assyria and they've been uh, persecuted for for so long. They've been seeing the struggling and the suffering all around. And God says, I'm about to do something even greater and stronger than you can imagine. And you would have to think that Habakkuk would be going, all right, good. But then what he says is, I'm going to bring in someone different to pillage your cities and to cause havoc. I'm raising up the Babylonians. What? Why would, why would God say, I'm going, to, I'm going to take that suffering you've got and I'm going to raise it some. I'm going to increase that suffering, that struggle. God is raising up. He says, hey, it's going to get worse. Now here he's talking about the, the Chaldeans and the people in this, the southern part of Babylonia. 
which the Bible says here in Habakkuk, they are a ruthless people. As if the terror of the Assyrians was not enough, now we have these Chaldeans. Now early in the Old Testament, God often used Israel to bring justice and to bring his way into other nations. Although Israel was a peaceful people, and they, they, they weren't looking, out, looking for war, they weren't looking for conflict, God often brought them into, uh, into conflict with other people uh, to bring about his kingdom's work and to, to deliver them into the land that he had promised them. In earlier prophets like uh, Isaiah uh, and Jeremiah and others, God often used other nations to try to correct Israel. And here the, the Hebrew says he is raising up the Babylonians, which is the same sort of phrasing that he uses when God raises up kings and judges and prophets, uh, like he does in the books of Deuteronomy and, and Judges and 1 Kings, in which God places someone in place to do his will, to do his work. God says, I am doing something. I'm in control. And I'm about to bring someone else in that's going to cause more conflict, but I am leading this. I am doing this. And I am in control. I'm going to cause a sinful people to attack. Verse 11 says, their, their sin is that their, their strength is their God. They think that what they're doing, they're doing by their own strength. But God says they, they don't realize that their power comes from God. He is the one who raises them up and He is the one who could crush them. This all-powerful God is in control. And it's this God who has Israel's back. What Habakkuk describes about the Babylonians, these Chaldeans, is the same as Isaiah had described earlier about the Assyrians. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 to 19, he talks about that God is raising up the Assyrians to bring judgment on the people of Israel, but that God will utterly destroy them. Their power is nothing compared to God, and although they seem to cause havoc everywhere they go, they seem to cause suffering and pain, God is ultimately in control. God brings them to their power, and God will bring them to their knees. He will show His power over all. God is saying to these people of Israel through Habakkuk, yes, there is difficulty coming. Yes, there is suffering coming. Yes, there is hard times coming. And the power uh, of this enemy may seem great, and they will cause this suffering for a while, but I am in control. So what does that mean for us today? What is all this suffering about? Why has God allowed these things to happen? I want to say, first of all, that God knows what He's doing. He has everything in His hand, in control. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy for us, but it does mean we can trust Him. In Isaiah 10 Verse 13, the passage we're talking about where God brings the Assyrians in to bring judgment on Israel. God says, It is by the strength of my hand that I've done this and by my wisdom because I have understanding. He says, I have done these things because I know what is best. He knows what He's doing even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship. And a second challenge with that is not only does God know what He's doing, but God walks through these challenges with us. God walks in the heart of the suffering with us. Psalm 46.1 is a, 
uh, a passage that many of you know. It says God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's always there for us to not only question Him, but call out to Him and find shelter and strength even in the heart of the storm. Psalm 91, verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress in whom I can trust. Even in the middle of the storm, we will find that God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He asks us to trust Him. Because even in the midst of that suffering, the things that we don't understand, the things that happen to us, you go, where are you, God? His answer to that is, I am at work. I am doing things for you. I am working things out for you that you can't understand right now. But trust me because I have a plan. And I'm doing these things. These things are coming through my hand and through my wisdom because I know all things and I can see all things and I have a plan for you. And God says, not only will I allow this suffering to happen, but I will go through it with you. I will be your shelter. I will be your stronghold. I will protect you in the middle of this hardship. Keep trusting in me when it's difficult. Keep trusting in me through the suffering. Keep trusting in me through the pain because God is strong enough to see us through. God has a purpose in all that He does, even through suffering. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3 says, God will sit as a refiner of silver. He will purify uh, the Levites, the people of God, and refine them like gold and silver. It's like someone who's sitting outside the fire and he's holding the gold or the silver in the fire until all of the impurities are gone. God is like that refining fire. He, he holds us, He forms us, He molds us into who we need to be. He has a purpose in all that He's doing. Even through some times of difficulty, even through times of suffering, even through times of hardship. Psalm 30, verse 5 is a, another passage that many of you may be familiar with. It says, His anger lasts for a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night. But joy, a rejoicing, comes in the morning. If you're in a time of suffering or trials, some challenging stuff at the moment, just know that God is with you and that God is in control. God allowed here this whole nation to suffer, to teach them to return to Him and to teach them to trust Him, to trust in Him. And sometimes God allows us to go through some tough stuff, some incredibly bad stuff, He allows to happen to us. But He'll walk through it with, it, with you. And He will bring it to an end. To refine us, to mature us, to lead us to whatever He wants and whatever He wants us to be. It's good to question God. It's good to call out to Him. Habakkuk does that here. And he questions what God is doing. And then God responds... I am in control. I am doing these things. And I'm with you. And God is with you through the heart of your suffering, through those difficult days that we can't understand. We have to know that we serve a God who is far greater than us, who doesn't just see things as we do. We're so limited, but He knows all things. He, uh, he operates... I mean, he, he exists outside of time and space, and yet He works in our life to lead us to what is best. 
Sometimes through the joys and sometimes through the sorrows. But he walks through it with us all to lead us to who he wants us to be. To lead us to what is best. His ways are not always our ways. We'll find that even later in the passage. But his ways are best. And he's a God who is strong enough to see you through even the, the most difficult of suffering. He is a God that can be trusted even through the heart of the fire to lead us and to mold us into who he wants us to be. Are there difficult days for Christians? Absolutely. Are there days in which we question, is he really there? Yes. But rest assured, God is forever faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. There's not a day that we go through, there's not a struggle that we go through that he will not hold you through, that he will not be right by your side to call to, to lean on, and to see you through. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that no matter what we face in life, even the most difficult of suffering and struggle and pain, when it seems like it's all too much. God, you were there to hold us, to strengthen us. And God, you are a God that we can trust, even in the heart of the fire, to work all things together for you, for good, for those who trust in you and those who are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord. That not only in the good days can we praise you, but even in the most challenging days, we can know that you are our God and you are in control and we can trust you. When it doesn't seem like you can be trusted, when it doesn't seem like your ways are matching up with how we think you should work, God, we can trust you and we know that you are God and you are sovereign. And although you want us to talk with you and share our heart with you, May we never question your authority, your strength, your wisdom, and your grace. May we feel your strength, your comforting arms around us in the midst of the suffering. May we know that you are with us. Although the storms are howling all around, may we be safe in you, our refuge. And God, in even the most difficult days, we pray that we trust you and that you bring us through a stronger church united in our faith, in our great God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.